We're continuing with the events of Jesus' last week of ministry, and today we're looking at Matthew 21, verses 10 to 17. Matthew 21, verses 10 to 17, and as you can see from the screen, that's on page 1535. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Let's pray. Father, again we come to be taught by you. Father, please give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And may we have soft hearts that are responsive to you. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Long, long ago, in a far, far away land, there was a king who wanted to give his country a new lease of life. So he decided to capture a city and establish a capital. The city would be one where none of his people had lived before, so that none of them could be proud that this was our city and others wouldn't feel excluded because it was somebody else's. The problem is that the city he had his sights on was perched on a high hill. And because of that, it was very easy to defend against attack. The inhabitants saw this young upstart coming with his army, and they were very confident that they could snuff his efforts out. They were so sure that they sent a message. The message went along these lines. All the regular guards are off duty. We put on the blind and the lame. They'll do the job for us. But the king had a plan. He knew that however secure the city was, it needed one thing. It needed water. And he had discovered the spring from which the water rose to the city. So he set his men a challenge. They were to go up the water shaft and fight their way into the city. 
the first man there will be my new general. So up they went and they captured the city. But he didn't forget the scorn of the local people and what they said about the blind and the lame keeping him out. So he made a rule. No blind or lame in the palace. No blind or lame in the king's house. The king, of course, was King David. And the city was Jerusalem. And the king's house, where the blind and the lame were not welcome, was now the temple. Last week we saw Jesus travel on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. Unlike the the Good Samaritan, he was not set upon by robbers and left half dead. Rather, upon his arrival, he heads straight for the robber's den, the heart of the city, the temple. Again in this story, where we see Jesus cleanse the temple, this familiar story, there is much more going on than meets the eye. On that day, there were two groups of people who had made their way into the temple courts. Insiders and outsiders. And we're going to look at them in turn. By insiders, I'm referring to the money changers and the chief priests and teachers of the law. We'll first look at the money changers. Profiteers, if you like. But don't you think they're a bit hard done by? Isn't this table turning a bit harsh? After all, they're providing a service. Worshippers were coming from all over Israel and they needed a sacrifice. But if they were coming from distant parts like Galilee, their sacrifice could be rendered worthless if it got maimed, injured or died on the way. Aren't these guys serving the worshipping community, especially at such a busy time like the Passover? It would be easy just to view those words like that. There's something that easily escapes us here. To purchase a sacrifice at the temple, you needed the right money. And the temple authorities insisted on their own currency. This is about men taking control of worship, taking control of the sacrificial system and putting up barriers that hindered worship. Oh, and creating a little income stream on the side. They are not facilitating true worship. Over the years, this house of prayer had become something much different. So the King Jesus returns to his house and turns the tables. He disrupts the status quo by stopping the sacrificial system, albeit temporarily. He's calling into question the very existence of the temple. He is suggesting publicly that their worship is not honouring to God. Routine is leading them down the road to ruin. There is a heart problem here of which they're oblivious. 
but a heart problem that he comes to address. Outward observance, observance looks good, but it's of no substitute for what God has sought from them or from their forefathers. In Micah, we read these words. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a, a thousands, thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn son for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In the turning of the tables... Jesus is, in point, is pointing to an even greater upheaval that is about to come. He is overturning this man-shaped tradition, this man-shaped worship. This is the beginning of the judgment on the existing temple. He is pointing to a new temple. The chief priests and the teachers of the law also play a part in distorting this gift. They do so by exalting themselves and exploiting others. In fact, they are the instigators of the temple's pending destruction. As leaders, they should be reflecting God's character. But instead of drawing people near, they are using the law to set themselves apart, to set themselves above others. They are responsible for leading the people to worship, but they are putting up barriers. These men too are profiteers. They're profiting by use of power and influence. They're using the force of the law to bring the kingdom of God on their terms, on their terms. For them, law-keeping overrides love. There is a real sense of entitlement in the air each time these men appear. Entitlement shakes its fist at grace. Entitlement flies in the face of grace. Entitlement denies grace and the giver of grace. Their outward facade may look impressive, but in a couple of days, Jesus will reveal the stench of death that lies within. These men are whitewashed tombs. The thing that amazes me is that they've seen wonderful things. They have seen, but not perceived. In other words, they are blind. They are blind and not open to seeing the change that Jesus is bringing. They saw Jesus do wonderful things right there in the temple, but they remain indignant critics. 
their focus is on maintaining their tradition and the appearance. Well, I never. Children shouting in the temple. Blah. Well, I never. Blind and lame in the temple. How does he condone this? Surely he's not a true son of David. They claim to know God, but don't recognize him even when he's standing there. The insiders are now on the outer. Jesus is in line, is in the line of David, but he is far, far greater than David. In God's true kingdom, in God's house, the blind and the lame are welcome. They come without sacrifice. They come without means to buy a sacrifice. They cannot pay. They cannot earn. They do not deserve. They come seeking healing and grace. And they receive healing and grace from the sacrificial lamb. They come and receive healing and grace from the scapegoat. They come receiving welcome, grace and healing from the king in the king's house. More than tables have been overturned for them and more than tables will be overturned for them. The people who had been cast out for centuries by kings and religious leaders are now welcome. The people who had been scorned are now healed. Jesus' actions are amazingly significant This table turning summarises all that he's been doing throughout his ministry. Those who continue to cling to the status quo are about to evidence more wonderful things. But will they be able to loosen their grip on tradition so that they can receive grace for themselves. Of course, there's one more group there, one more group of outsiders, the children. As we saw last week, earlier that day, there were plenty of people in the crowd who were ready to identify Jesus as simply the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. But it's the little ones, the children who acknowledge his true identity right there in the temple. Hosanna to the son of David! This chant is the fulfilment of the predicted praise that comes in Psalm 8, verse 2. From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth praise to silence the foe and the avenger. Jesus' words here to the religious leaders reinforce a rebuke that he had given to the disciples earlier. You'll remember the story where the disciples think Jesus is too busy to deal with children. But Jesus says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. 
These children also come empty-handed, apart from maybe a branch. They have a better understanding of what's going on here than the religious leaders and many of the adults. They are eager to participate in undeserved, unearned blessing and they respond with uninhibited praise. Jesus' actions that day declare that the old ways which have become so entrenched are going to be overturned in God's kingdom. The temple and the religious leaders are about to be judged. The physical temple, in due course, will be destroyed. And Jesus makes that clear in chapters 23 to 25 of Matthew. But their hearts are hard. And they are very set in their ways. They are happy to tell God that he is wrong and they know better how to run his kingdom, what his kingdom should look like. After all, they are the true leaders of Israel. This is so, so sad. They've become so hard-hearted, so stiff-necked, that they should remind themselves of their forefathers, but they don't. They can't see the need for change. Yet radical change is at their door. Jesus in coming days will reveal a new temple for a new kingdom, which is all about true worship, where outsiders are welcome, where grace is proclaimed, where love is lived, and where God draws people draws people from every tribe and nation. Abbotsford 2018 is a long way from Jerusalem 30 AD. But how do we match up? Are there tables, not literal tables, are there tables that need to be turned here? Have we become too comfortable with our status quo? Are there things that we're clinging on to so tightly that they prevent us from reaching out for grace, prevent us from receiving grace? Jesus says to us today, my house will be called a house of prayer. Do our worship and our prayers bring honour and glory to God? I'm really encouraged by those who lead us in prayer in our services morning and night. I'm grateful for those who pray with me weekly in my growth group. I'm thankful for the emails that Carmen sends around calling us to support in prayer people who are in need. And as we seek a new minister... I hope that when he arrives, each of us can honestly say, you are an answer to prayer. I know that I always need encouragement to pray. And I know that God is more willing to answer than I am to ask. Is there something we can do as a congregation 
to increasingly see this as a house of prayer, as God's house of prayer. Many of us in the church at the moment are in roles of leadership, official and unofficial. There are lots of us who have taken up leadership positions. The Pharisees were guilty of building their own kingdom, appointing their way and to their righteousness. Are we constantly pointing each other to God's plan, to to God's kingdom, to God's glory and the righteousness of his son? In my role over the next 12 months or so, please speak up if you are... If you think at all, if I ever fail to point you to the God of the Bible. How do we see the place of children in our church? What can we learn from children? Especially if the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. K Central is the biggest outreach activity of our church. And so it's easy for us to say, yes, children are important. We also have kids' church, mainly music, scripture teaching, and don't forget Y Central on Friday nights. It's easy for us to say that children are important. But is there a danger of us basking in the reflected glory of the efforts of a few? That said, a huge thanks to all of you who are involved in any of those ministries and a huge thanks to all those who stepped up to say, yes, I'm in to help out on Kids Church this year. Brilliant. You are brilliant. But is there more that we can do? What about something simple? that we can each do what can you do at morning tea to make one or more of our children feel valued what can you do at morning tea to make one or more of our children valued ask a name ask them about their week help them get some morning tea You don't need any more hints. Honestly, how do you think we go with outsiders? Is there anything we can do to make them feel welcome and want to join in our celebration of God's goodness in Jesus? There is a bedraggled old lady. I'm not sure that she's all that old, really. Up at Five Dock. She gets around barefooted and she's dirty. I wouldn't be surprised if she has some mental health issues. I found out the other day that her name is Marissa. How would you go about welcoming Marissa if she came here? If she came here and sat next to you? How would we go if a gay couple wanted to join us in worship on a regular basis? 
Would we be eager and able to love them the way Jesus loves them? Them? As people made in his image? Not them as they appear to be? Finally, and perhaps you think, oh, he's gone too far already. Are there other areas where you and I might be prompted to think about challenging the comfort of our status quo? Are you happy with your default mode for relating and living? Are we happy with a casual allegiance to Jesus? Happy with the kingdom of God on our terms. God's agenda is one of change. He wants to make each of us more like the Lord Jesus. He wants to make us as a church his pure bride. And he's doing that and he will continue to do that. The teachers of the law and the chief priests, as law-abiding as they were, as outwardly righteous as they were, as devoted to the temple as they were, became hard-hearted as they resisted the change that God wanted to bring. Lord, have mercy on us. Upturn our lives where it's necessary. Lord, have mercy on us.